Welcome to Resilience Unraveled. Hi everybody and welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a podcast that examines all aspects of personal and organisational resilience. A huge all-encompassing subject that covers the ability to thrive in life by harnessing your cognitive, emotional, physiological and contextual abilities. I share stories from people who have thrived despite remarkable obstacles, as well as highly successful practitioners and experts across a range of topics. And this podcast introduces their amazing stories and expertise, as well as my own reflections, perspectives, strategies and tips, which come from my own synthesis of themes and trends from wider learning. You can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and eBooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Space Unraveled. So, let's get started. Enjoy the show. Okay. Hi, and welcome back to Resilience Unraveled. And today, a resilience expert. So, two people talking about resilience all the time is double resilience fun. So Dr. Stephen Sidoroff is with me today. So good afternoon, Dr. Stephen. Good afternoon. It's good to be with you. Good to talk with you. Fantastic. And so tell us where in the world you are. I am in Los Angeles, California, actually in outskirts called Topanga Canyon, a, a very beautiful rural area about a half hour from my office in Santa Monica. Ah. <sighs> I'm sitting here, there's a very gray day here today in the UK, and you're telling me all about Los Angeles and forests and things. It's, it's why we're very resilient here in the UK. I think it's partly to do with the weather. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, yes. So tell me a little bit about what it is that you do. Well, I, I do a lot of different things. I wear a lot of different hats, but my real focus is on helping people become and organizations become more resilient as with you. Um, I started out in psychology many years ago as a researcher. I was doing brain research, looking at learning and memory, Hmm. but I wanted to switch into clinical. I wanted to work with humans uh, because they can answer my questions. Yes. uh, And they could tell me how they're feeling. So uh, I did that and very quickly realized that stress was a major uh, modulator of how people felt. You could be feeling really good, but as soon as you increase the amount of stress in your life, uh, your coping abilities become strained and you begin to develop different kinds of symptoms. And so I realized that if I help people deal with stress, that uh, it would help in all areas of their life. And, But then I quickly realized that people have a lot of ambivalence to managing stress. And of course, that's because stress isn't all bad. Uh, And it's also because if we look at all of our successes, most of our successes are accompanied by stress. And so as my one of my mentors, uh, Donald Hebb uh, said, neurons that fire together, wire together. And so we have uh, stress associated with our successes. And so I switched to a more 
positive concept of resilience and helping people become more resilient. And this is something that people are more uh, attuned to. Yeah. Uh, and as a result, I, I developed my own model of resilience, which I lay out in my book, The Path. And um, it has nine components and it's a very comprehensive model of resilience. And that's what I've been spending a lot of my efforts on is both doing research as well as uh, training people in the area of resilience. Well, tell us something about the path then, if you would then, Stephen. What are these nine elements that we should know about? So, um, a lot of people talk about resilience in terms of being able to bounce back and being able to recover from, from stresses, which is so very important. But, I, but it's also important to realize that if you, for example, haven't healed early wounds, that that can drive um, stressful behavior. Mm. <clears throat> and so even though you may be able to recover well, over time, you begin to break down because you're creating, based on choices that we make, uh, more stress than we need, or based on how we interpret situations, we create more stress than is apt, than is necessary or efficient for a good for a good life. Yeah. And so, my nine uh, pillars, as I call them, encompass a few different areas. And the first area is relationship. So the right. first three pillars have to do with relationship with self, which I think is the foundation of all the other. Uh, pillars. It's about how you relate to yourself. Do you relate from a place of love and acceptance and compassion, or do you relate from a place of judgment and being critical and negativity? So relationship with self, relationship with others, um, the relationships you have with other people. Are you able to set good boundaries? You make good choices in who you choose as people that you relate to when you have no choice with certain people, such as a boss, such as a, a colleague? Are you able to maintain good boundaries so you don't absorb negative or uh, conflictual energy? And then relationship with something greater. And with relationship with something greater, it includes spirituality. It includes um, having meaning in your life, having purpose in your life, and giving service, something that connects you to the larger community. The next three areas have to do with organismic balance and mastery. And here there's physical balance and mastery. And this is usually what people refer to when they talk about stress management. And that's, are you able to um, relax easily, readily? Are you able to get a good night's sleep? Are you able to keep your nervous system in a place of balance? Yeah. Um, the next is cognitive balance and mastery. And here it's about your outlook, having a positive outlook, having positive expectations. It, does, it, it doesn't mean that you ignore dangers, but once you plan for them and handle them, then you switch into a more positive a frame of reference. Mm. And then emotional balance and mastery, very, very important. Are you able to um, 
notice feelings that arise in your body and do you handle them appropriately so that you can let them move through and out of your body and, and not carry excess baggage, emotional baggage that affects us all the, can affect us uh, all the time. Yes. And then the last three have to do with how we engage in the world. So <clears throat> my seventh pillar is presence. Yeah. And presence, people usually refer to uh, being aware of your surroundings, and being present in the moment. And I think I consider two directions of presence. So one is what I'm receiving, what I'm aware of in my environment, but the other is my presence. What, what's the energy that I project out into the world? What, uh, and that includes facial ex expression, posture, things of that nature. And the next is flexibility. Am I, um, am I able to make adjustments based on current circumstances? This is something that's been so important over the last couple of years. Yeah. A lot of our paths to success have been blocked because of the pandemic. Yeah. Are we able to make adjustments so that we can still get satisfied? Are we able to have different perspectives so that we can see other people's perspectives? So flexibility on many levels. And then my last pillar uh, I call power, which I define as the ability to get things done. Mm. So here's where um, we're able to thrust out into the world. We have courage, we have persistence, perseverance, so that we can be successful in life. And when we're successful, it increases our sense of agency, self-confidence, and when that happens, we experience stresses less impactful. So that's the whole range of my nine pillars of resilience, which is, I think, a very comprehensive model very, of being in the world and yeah. being effective and efficient. Yeah, that's excellent. And um, as you're taking a quick sip of water there, I'll just ask a, 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 a couple of questions that I made to unpack some of that. We're all shaped by our paradigms or worldviews. So, so where has yours come from? Where, where, where are the roots of your um, approach? Well, I must say that I feel very fortunate. I had a, a couple of very loving and caring parents and uh, who did a very good early job of, uh, of raising me. So I have a lot of gratitude uh, for that. Uh, it's interesting, though, that um, one of the things that you, of course, you know about resilience is that it takes the challenges to um, really engage our ability to become more and more resilient. Its challenges are the are the are the sort of like the fuel for for uh, becoming more resilient. So it was later challenges, um, whether it was in relationships, um, uh, whether it was in all my different moves to different locations and, and different jobs and challenges in those jobs that um, caused me to really um, challenge myself and become more resilient. Yes. I, worked, um, I worked for 15 years as an apprentice to a shaman also that oh. Uh, showed me a whole different way of viewing the world and um, was 
it was in those years that I sort of broke through some of my own defenses so I can go more deeply inside myself, which is part of the work that I do. And what I think is very important is that we can't stay just on the surface of life. We have the, the it's the wounding that breaks us open and causes us to reach deeper inside ourselves. So all of these were parts of what's uh, shaped me and how I approach uh, resilience. Uh, and I notice you've worked in the sort of biofeedback and neurofeedback world. So again, I've got some experience there. So I'm just interested in your, your impressions of that and how that can help people. Yes, of course. Uh, I have uh, used biofeedback and researched biofeedback for many, many years. And I think biofeedback, which is a way of monitoring your, some aspect of your physiology, yeah. feeding that back to the person you're working with or to yourself so that when you make an adjustment physiologically, you get an immediate feedback letting you know of your success. So it's an operant conditioning model. It's a, it's a learning model that helps us tune in better to our bodies to, um, to get into a better place of physiological balance. Um, I've also done some, go ahead. No, no, I was gonna say, uh, it, it is interesting how, I mean, heart math sort of got involved in that and sort of productized and such like, but there hasn't really yes. been much since that that's really given that, uh, it's linked to your heart, isn't it? Your ability to breathe and your ability to monitor your heart rate and blood pressure and such like, and the sort of alignment of heart breathing and such like, but there's been very little else recently that's actually had the, the impact of neurofeedback in the sense, is there? Or unless you found something interesting. I'm, I'm sh not sure of the question there. Well, basically, have you found anything as useful as a tool as neurofeedback in your travels? Uh, neurofeedback is, is kind of unique because here you're monitoring someone's brainwave patterns. Um, and so uh, you're able to get more directly to the origins of um, physiological control, so to speak. Mm. Um, so for example, we, I participated in a research study where we went into a drug treatment facility and we did a series of neurofeedback sessions that the first stage was to help um, people become more present by enhancing their access to prefrontal cortex and the cortex in, in general. Mm. So it, it helped with uh, attentional issues. It helped with being able to focus. And then we shifted into another neurofeedback approach called alpha-theta. And alpha-theta is an interesting uh, uh, approach because it, it creates a deep, deep state, a theta state, in which uh, memories can come up, trauma can come up, but within the context of a very, very calm state. So it's, it's a way of helping a person move through that trauma uh, and being able to let go of it. And we had tremendous success in this research study mm. where 
we had uh, twice as much uh, abstinence uh, two years post-treatment as the control group. So we had 77% uh, after two years, which was ph phenomenal. And I've helped to put this kind of a neurofeedback model into a number of uh, uh, tr drug treatment centers. Yes. I mean, you're sort of linking hypnotherapy with neurofeedback there in a way, aren't you? Because you're, you're linking, you're sort of, well, you are, aren't you? There's, there's no other way of describing it. You're linking the physical with the process of um, theta, which is hypnotherapy and all over it. So quite opposite to the mindfulness thing. So whilst we're talking about attention, there's also this ability to actually let people drop into this, this wonderful state where their subconscious can be um, helped, enabled or facilitated. Yes. Yes, definitely. So, you know, neurofeedback, I, I find, um, you know, a lot of people can get to these states by a lot of meditation. Yeah. Uh, neurofeedback and biofeedback as well can speed up that process. Brilliant. Okay. So it's, so it's interesting hearing, hearing you, you're doing that. And I'm guessing you bumped into the positive psychology school along your way, because most of us seem to have been... Um, influenced by Mr. Seligman and his acolytes. So uh, have you, what, how, have you, how have you dealt with that school of thought? Um, it hasn't, which school of thought, please? Positive psychology. Yes. Well, I, I think that positive psychology has a lot to offer. Hmm. Uh, it depends on how it's utilized. I think uh, it, yeah, you can't ignore wounding and, and um, uh, emotional hurts from childhood. You can't just whitewash them. So when that's taken into account, positive psychology can be very effective. Yeah. No, it's fascinating because if people want to read around the subject, um, the whole sort of resilience is a lens, really, isn't it, that brings together many schools of thought into a into a more tangible set of circumstances. And I think what you've done with you, you've focused the lens with your nine aspects in a sense, haven't you? So you mentioned that you'd written a book. Uh, Stephen, why don't you tell us a bit more about that? How can we get hold of it? Where can we find it? How can we find out more about the work that you do? Thank you. Yes, so the book is called The Path, Mastering the Nine Pillars of Resilience and Success. And it's available at amazon.com. Uh, and it takes my not my model of resilience, and it lays it out in a, as I refer to as the path. Yeah. So the path is a, is, a, is a notion or is a, it's a construct that is really designed to help people who can get very overwhelmed when they think of all the things that they feel they need to do to become resilient. Yeah. <laughs> then they feel they have to be resilient just to be work on being resilient. But, you know, a lot of times people will start doing something that's good for them, that's helping them be more resilient, like practicing a relaxation exercise. But as they're doing it, they're starting to think, well, but I have to do this also. And I have to, I have all these tasks that I have to do. And pretty quickly, they become overwhelmed um, and they stop doing the relaxation exercise because it's not working because they're thinking of so many other different things. So yes. the notion of the path is that when you, 
put yourself on the path by doing just one of the many things that help you become more resilient, that that's the best you can do. Yeah. Um, and so you could, you could let go of all the other things that are on your mind because you're doing the best you can do by being on the path. So it's a, it's a construct to help people, to support people in their efforts to become more resilient. And it's also a nice concept to think that I only have to ask myself one question at any time. Am I on the path or off the path? Yes. And if I'm off the path, then I, there's just a couple of steps I can take to get back onto the path. So it really helps people um, stay with the process rather than giving up easily. Very good. I like that. It's a very interesting analogy. And for those of you in the UK, Amazon.co.uk have it at £6.18 on Kindle at the moment because I just bought one. So there you go. I always, I always buy the books I'm interested in. So yours is fascinating. So I hope you don't Thank mind you. me adding it to my toolkit normally. So I very much like your approach. Um, where do you see, where do you see um, resilience moving on to, in a sense? Or do you think that actually resilience is it? Because um, because the, our field evolves um, both quickly and slowly. So where do you think the next next big thing is after resilience? Well, well, first of all, I would say that right now is a very important time for people to learn to be resilient. We are faced with tremendous challenges in the world. Um, just the complexity of 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 life right now, but and certainly with the pandemic, and now with a, a war, um, it's really challenging people um, all over the world. And so resilience is a fluid kind of concept because it's always about the best way of being in the present moment. Um, as, as I project into my next book after my, after, I have one coming out in, um, in September, but the one after that is going to still be related to resilience, but it's gonna be how you approach resilience. And so it's going to be about approaching resilience from the perspective of a leadership position. So it's what does a leader do in his or her life? How do they approach the world? So it'll be resilience, but from a leadership perspective. So to me, that's the next step for people who are in the process of becoming more and more resilient. How do I be even more resilient? Well, approach it from a leadership perspective where you take more responsibility for what goes on in your life. You don't make excuses, things of this nature. Yes, I think accountability is a major part of resilience, which is under underrepresented many of the resilience thinkers. I think um, I think it's one of the I think it's one of the secrets, one of the sort of key pillars, something around that area, because that's that's what mm -hmm. really actually focuses and develops mindset. Yes, yes, I, I'm curious. Um, tell me, uh, in, in your country. Um, would you say there's any particular difference in terms of resilience or need for resilience or approach to resilience than in the States? No, I think, well, I think it's, I think it's complex in the sense, I don't see a cultural difference. Um, 
Um, I think you're right in terms of the what's happening at the moment will shape our, the next generation. And actually, we've got a generation that seems to be particularly not resilient because actually we've had a very calm and unthreatening environment for the last number of years. And if you look at the amount of change happening in the States, I mean, you know, potentially there could be some really big, significant problems in the States over the next five years, which perhaps we don't see here so much. Um, but I think the modern or the newer generation or a generation that have not learned through parenting the skills of resilience. So having to learn it in different places. And I think lots of organizations are finding themselves having to educate apprentices and uh, new joiners in, in the whole world of resilience. But of course, for me, there's a double-edged sword when we think about resilience in the workplace, because of course, making people more resilient allows organizations to practice hideous and heinous leadership practice. And um, the point of resilient isn't to make your people so robust that they can stand up to poor leadership. For me, right. you know, that's where the, the route to burnout is. Um, mm -hmm. So for me, you have to actually get a new approach really to where we're going. Because I think, I think, as you say, you know, the future's evolving so quickly now in comparison with the last 20 years, that actually I think um, moving to adaptability, not just resilience is going to be the future. I think it's that, that ability to reinvent the future for yourself, I think is going to be so important. Yes, I agree. And one of the things that I deal with in my book and in my work is some of the factors that interfere with, with adaptability. And one of the things that I talk about, and I, I use a term I call primitive gestalt patterns. And that's how we um, actually adapt very well to our childhood environment. Yeah. But then our adaptations to some degree gets locked into that environment. And we carry that same type of adaptation into adulthood. But we don't, we have difficulty adapting to the adult environment because we carry the lessons of our childhood into adulthood. Yeah. So um, if we grow up in a very dangerous childhood environment, we are all, always uh, on the lookout for danger as an adult. Yeah. And so we keep our stress response, our fight or flight response activated much more than it, than it needs to be. Mm. So the lessons of childhood very frequently get in the way of fully adapting as an adult. I think, I think you're a spot on there. And I work as a, psych a psychotherapist as well. So you'll see that the ideas behind um, parenting and such like, you know, affect people. And, and you'll find that people become defined by their childhood experience rather than enlightened by it. And I think that's one of the challenges, partly because, of course, they don't know how, because there is a vast therapeutic network with a vested interest in keeping everybody addicted to therapy almost rather than you know and that's why i like resilience because resilience is about giving people toolkits to make sense of the world for themselves it's about an adult framework where you treat people as adults you help people or empower people to have the tools to be adult in their their outlook and you empower them to actually make the decisions they need and i and i do think there's too much in our world which is about infantilizing some of the people we work with and, and, and creating a culture where everybody 
ends up actually being tied at the apron strings. And of course, as you exactly say, you have to have the challenge. You have to face the risk or you'll never learn the resilience. So we have mm -hmm. to treat people as if they're grown-ups, if assuming they are grown-up, because of course there are some people who don't have that wherewithal and uh, we need to, have, you know, to treat those people appropriately as well. Very true, very true, yes. I'm sensing that you and I have started the conversation. We could continue for another three or four hours, but I'm very respectful of your time. And I just want to thank you so much for spending time with us today. And um, let's run through those things. The, the, um, the book is available on um, all the Amazons. And just remind us of your name and your website address. Yes, it's uh, Dr. Stephen Sideroff. And my website, doc, dr, drstephensideroff.com. If you go to my website, there are a couple of interesting things there. I have a, actually have a resilience challenge. So you can answer a number of questions and then find out how resilient you are and tell you a little bit about that. And then I have a, a free audio download of a relaxation visualization exercise that uh, people, if they want, they can download and, and use that to practice. And if anybody wanted, uh, I have a resilience assessment booklet, which goes into my nine pillars. And if they email me, I'd be happy to send them a copy of that. My email is sitteroff at ucla.edu. And then finally, my book, again, The Path, Mastering the Nine Pillars of Resilience and Success, and that's available at Amazon. You see, not only great at resilience, you've got that selling thing straight organized. You've got the, you're a master. Thank you so much for spending time with us. I, Take care. I appreciate it. Enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Thanks, so. Bye. Bye. Hi, everybody. I hope you found that episode useful and interesting. Feedback is always welcomed, and if you are in the mood to subscribe to us or even leave a comment on iTunes or Stitcher, that would be amazing. If you want to suggest ideas or even people you would like me to interview, then reach out to us at qedod.com forward slash contact. As I said earlier, you can go to qedod.com forward slash podcast for show notes or follow the links. And you can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com, then search for Resilience Unraveled. I look forward to being in your ear next time around. Take care.